Did you know in Iceland they bake bread by using heat from nearby volcanoes? And even though we have no volcanoes here where I am, knock on wood, I still am going to attempt to make rulkbrut. So thank you to Wondrium for sponsoring this video as we make Icelandic volcano bread. This time on Tasting History. So this may be the easiest bread recipe I have ever made in my life. It is nearly foolproof, which is perfect for me. The one thing that is difficult is just waiting for it to be done because it can take up to 24 hours to bake. But I promise you, it is worth it for the end product of this sweet rukbrauth. Rukbrauth, or rye bread, has been popular in Iceland for centuries. And in 1602, when Denmark established a monopoly on the grains imported to Iceland, it became very popular, mostly due to the fact that there was no alternative to eat. Even as late as 1900, the average Icelander would eat 50 to 60 kilograms of rye per year. That's about 120 pounds, which is a lot more than the 3 kilograms that they eat today. Now, this rye bread of Iceland is very special and can go by several different names. One is thrumari, and that means thunderer, because if you eat enough of it, you will produce thunder. In a way, you'll be like the god Thor. Another word is kverbrot, which literally means hot spring bread because of how it's baked, from the heat produced by liquid hot magma from just below the Earth's surface. See, Iceland didn't get their first oven until around the year 1900, and they didn't really need it because there's oven in the ground all around them. This bread would be made by digging a hole near a hot spring, and just a few feet down, you'll have boiling water actually coming up. Then you make the dough, put it into a sealed container, and put that into the boiling water, cover it up with sand, and wait until it's baked. It's similar to the way that you make a boiled pudding, but in this case, you end up with a dense but soft bread. Now, while researching Rukbrot, and specifically these hot springs of Iceland, I kind of fell down a geological rabbit hole and wanted to learn more about Iceland and their volcanoes. And so I ended up watching a documentary on the topic on Wondrium, who is sponsoring today's video. As I've mentioned in the past, I spend a lot of time watching documentaries and other programs on Wondrium, which used to be The Great Courses Plus. Wondrium has an amazing library of educational videos taught by experts in the field on every topic from history, food, travel, and of course, geology. While watching Iceland, where fire meets ice, I learned about a specific volcano called Laki, which erupted in 1783 and killed half of the livestock on the island, which led to a quarter of the human population dying off but it ended up affecting the climate around the entire Earth, and so there was famine in Japan, drought in India, and huge crop failures all across Europe. And Ben Franklin, who was living in Paris at the time, speculated that it caused the harsh weather conditions of the next year, and those conditions were linked to civil unrest in France that ended up leading to the French Revolution. Crazy how those dominoes fall. And if you want to learn more amazing stuff like this, go to wondrium.com slash tastinghistory, or just click on the link in the description to start your free trial today. Now, while I do want to visit the volcanoes and the hot springs of Iceland someday, here in Burbank, we, we don't have a lot of geothermal activity, so I am going to be following the way that it was made around the year 1900, which includes an oven. So for this recipe, what you'll need is four cups or 480 grams of rye flour, two cups or 240 grams of whole wheat flour, one cup or 200 grams of brown sugar, one cup or 335 grams of golden syrup, 
So the most typical is Lyle's Golden Syrup, and it is kind of hard to find here in the U.S. at grocery stores, so I will put a link uh, to where you can get it online. Very popular in a lot of the world, though. But what was crazy that I learned this week was I, I actually paid attention to the bottle, and I always thought that it was just a lion on there, but it turns out it's a dead lion with bees around it. That's their logo. Kind of weird. And it turns out it comes from the Old Testament story of Samson killing a lion, only to come back to find bees turn the carcass into a hive, which then he harvests honey from. And he used that as the base of a riddle that he told to the Philistines. And he said unto them, Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. Interesting, and something that I have overlooked for years, and just kind of a weird thing to have as your, as your logo. Four teaspoons of baking powder, one quart or one liter of whole milk, and one teaspoon of salt. So like I said, this is really, really easy to make. All that you need to do is whisk the two flours together in a large bowl, then whisk in the baking powder and the salt, then mix in the brown sugar and the syrup, and then add the milk just a little at a time. Now you may not need all of the milk, but you're going to need more of it than you think, because as you add it, it's going to make it really soupy, but once you start mixing it, it really works in the rye, just soaks it up and you'll end up using most of it, if not all of it. What you're looking for is kind of like a cake batter consistency, but you don't want it so liquid that it's a pancake batter. But like I said, it's really foolproof and you really can't screw this up. Then pour the dough into a well-greased container. I'm using a large Dutch oven, but you can use a bread tin, though you'll probably need two for this amount of dough. In Iceland, they often use um, empty cardboard milk cartons, which I was going to use, but I'm not sure what kind of stuff they coat the inside of those with here in the U.S., so when they get heated in an oven, it, I don't want to poison myself. So I ended up using the uh, the Dutch oven, but it's just important that you get something that you can seal pretty well. It doesn't need to be completely airtight, but pretty well. For the Dutch oven, it's just the lid, but for anything else, you probably want to wrap it tightly in parchment and tie it. Then pop it in the oven at 215 degrees Fahrenheit or 100 degrees Celsius and bake for up to 24 hours. Now, usually if you baked bread for 24 hours, you would end up with hardtack. But because this is sealed, it keeps the moisture in so it doesn't dry out. Now, depending on your schedule, you may not want to leave this in the oven for 24 hours. I would not leave the oven on while you're sleeping. It's probably not safe, especially if you have a gas oven. So... You can bake it for less. You can either leave it on for 24 hours if you have somebody watching it and shifts, or bake it for less. Don't do under 12 hours. 12 to 14 really is the minimum, so get started first thing in the morning. Now, this bread is eaten all year round, but it is particularly popular during the festival of Thorroblot, probably because it is one of the more palatable dishes of the festival. And so I'm going to ask you now to like this video and make sure you are subscribed just in case I lose you as I go through what else you might eat during Thorroblot. Thorroblot is the Icelandic midwinter festival, and just like many holidays, its history is murky. Originally, it's named after Thorri, a legendary king of Kvenland or Denmark, depending on which of the sagas you're reading. They also name him as either the son or the brother of the personifications of frost and snow. In 112th century history of Norway, it claims that Thorrblot, or Thori's sacrifice, was given by the inhabitants of Kvenland to Thori every midwinter. Though in the 13th century, the Icelandic Orkninga saga says that it was Thori giving the sacrifice. Thori was a great sacrificer. He had a sacrifice every year at midwinter. That they called Thorrblot. 
From that, the month took its name. And that month, also called Thori, is the fourth winter month in the Icelandic calendar that was made in the 10th century, which was during the height of the Viking Age. Now, since it's a lunar calendar, it's always kind of shifting in relation to our calendar, but generally it falls from mid-January to mid-February, so being celebrated right now. Now, we don't really know much about the original Thorroblot. It doesn't really tell what it was for exactly or or how the sacrifice worked or, or what else was entailed. The sagas really don't mention it. But what we do know is that during the Christianization of Iceland, it disappeared. It would be back, though. It would just take quite a while and would be very different when it did get back. In 1262, during a period of civil strife known as the Age of the Sturlungs, Icelanders signed the Old Covenant, relinquishing sovereignty to Håkon IV, King of Norway. And the island eventually changed hands to belong to Denmark, who controlled Iceland for centuries. Well, by the 19th century, Iceland had been settled for about a thousand years, and they were thinking, okay, well, we're old enough to rule ourselves. And this led to a rise in Icelandic nationalism, which put a spotlight on Iceland's history and their culture, particularly on their early history, the pre-Christian history, and then the sagas. So in 1873, an association of Icelandic students living in Denmark organized the first recorded modern celebration of Thorblot. The celebration idealized Iceland during the Viking Age as Golden Age Iceland. And the event featured a dinner where poems and speeches were given and a lot of readings from the old Icelandic sagas. Though by this time, Thor, the god of thunder, was a name far more recognizable than Thori. And the names kind of sound alike, so most of the, the things that were talked about ended up being more about Thor than of Thori. An account of the early celebration says, I've heard it said that Dr. Bjorn Olsen presented the best performance with his poem, The Cup of Thor. In 1880, the Archaeological Society of Reykjavik held a Thorroblot. We drank remembrance to the gods of Odin, Allfather, of Thor, of Freyr, and Njord for the year blessing. As the holiday evolved, it began to include a lot of food that was thought to have been eaten during the pre-Christian Viking era. Though really, it was more food that was eaten in the countryside of Iceland that had lost popularity by the 19th and 20th century. And for good reason. See, the food, when put together, is called Thorematur, and it includes some very questionable dishes. Sveith, which is boiled sheep's head. Grutzpungar, which is ram's testicles, pressed into blocks, then cured in lactic acid. Lots of head cheese, pickled meats, blood puddings, and of course, haukart or fermented shark, which has quite the reputation, not a particularly good one, and I really want to try it someday when I go visit Iceland, just to say that I have tried it. The other foods, though, I think I'm okay not trying. Frankly, the whole meal sounds like it was put together as a sort of fear factor test to see that if you can keep this stuff down, you have earned a place in the sagas next to your ancestors. Though actually, in the sagas, they don't mention pretty much any of these foods, at least that I could find. Though there is one food eaten during the festival that is mentioned. Harthfiskr. Harthfiskr is fish, often cod or haddock, that has been left out, usually hanging off of cliffs or on racks, to be dried by the icy cold wind of Iceland, so that it will become essentially fish jerky. And Harthfiskr gets a shout-out in the 12th century Icelandic saga of Grettir the Strong. Atli went to Snælfellsnes to get dried fish. He drove several horses with him and rode from home to Melar in Hrutafjord to his brother-in-law Gamli. 
They rode west by way of Hoykadalskart, and the road which leads out to the Ness, where they bought much fish and carried it away on seven horses. And in 1555, Olaus Magnus gives us an actual description of how this fish was made. When you come in toward the shore, such an abundance of fish is to be seen that you are dumbfounded at the sight. Some of the fishes, sprinkled with brine from the sea, are commonly spread out over two or three acres of the flat level ground at the foot of the mountain, to be parched and dried by the wind. Some are hoisted on poles or spread out on racks to be dehydrated by the sun and air. He says that the smell was so strong that sailors, either at night or during a storm, could tell where the shore was simply by the pungency of the odor coming from the dried fish. Though he does say it is served with salted butter and is highly appreciated even by kings. And that is exactly how I am going to eat it because I got some hartfisker and some Icelandic butter. Here we go. That hits you. Oh, that hits you. That smells... That smells fishy. Like... Fish food, almost. Interesting. Um, I'm guessing you just break off a piece. It really is like jerky. It is It is tough. It was hard to, to get a piece off. Um, I'm using my bread knife, just because I don't want to dirty up two knives. And going to try this. Harfiskur with the butter. That is really, that is, is rough to eat. But, the flavor is not bad. And I think that it would really grow on you. It's just so unexpected. So this one is cod. It's so chewy. So much So much drier than, than like regular beef jerky. It's it's really dry. It's really hard. Very difficult to eat. But the flavor is not bad. It's actual. It smells fishier than it tastes. It still tastes like fish, but it smells fishier than it tastes. Um, definitely, definitely need that butter though. Now at Thorblot with the hartfisker and the other delicacies, shall we say? They they finish everything off with copious amounts of brennivin, a caraway-flavored liquor in the aquavit family, which are high-proof alcohols usually made of grain or potato and then flavored with some sort of herb, similar similar to gin. Now, I had no luck in finding this in any of my liquor stores, but luckily, Curiata was able to find it for me. They got a bottle sent to me. And now they are going to be carrying it on their site, so I will put a link in the description. They're kind of my go-to place for all weird liquors that I can't find anywhere else. Um, so I'll put a link down there if, if you want to try Brennivin. Now, from what I hear, you're supposed to drink it ice cold, and this has been in the freezer, so it's kind of thickened. I'm putting it into a uh, martini glass, because that's what I had. It's also called Black Death. It does make me a little trepidatious, but... I'm going to give it a shot. It smells like nothing. Oh no, there is a little caraway there. Mm. That is... That is dangerous. I mean, it, it does remind me of, like, caraway gin. 
It's dangerous because it is super strong. I mean, like, super alcoholic. But it has a really nice flavor. It's not like it's not like bad vodka or something. It has this wonderful caraway flavor, though it's not overpowering. And I like caraway seeds. Not everybody does, but this is really nice because it's just a hint of it. Um, yeah. Oh man, I I'm gonna finish this, but I need to be need to go slow because I still got 24 hours before my bread is ready. Dangerous. 24 hours later, you're gonna, I'm kidding, I'm not actually drunk. But once you have let your bread bake for 12 to 24 hours, take it out of the oven and immediately turn it out of its container and then slice it up and serve it with butter. And here we are, Icelandic Rugebrit. Now I'm eating mine with butter, but it can also be served with pickled herring or hard boiled egg and onion. I, I've seen lots of different ways, but butter sounds best to me, so that's what I'm doing. Here we go. Mmm. 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 So it's super dense, like super dense, but not stodgy at all. It's it's dense and yet light at the same time, if that if that makes sense at all. Really, really great. What it reminds me of flavor-wise, because because it's kind of sweet, because of the the brown sugar and the and the syrup. If you've ever been to Cheesecake Factory and had the brown bread when you go, it tastes very, very similar to that, but dense and almost more like gingerbread, like a dense gingerbread. This is fantastic. It's super easy. It takes a little while, but it's super easy to make. The flavor is wonderful. Everyone should make this if you like, if you like bread. It's fantastic. So Hartfiskur, I'd say C+. Brennivin, A-, and this bread, A+. Fantastic, even if you don't have a nearby hot spring or volcano. Your oven, it, it works pretty darn well. So make sure to follow me on Instagram, Tasting History with Max Miller, and I will see you next time on Tasting History. Mm-hmm.